Hello, I'm Alex Hannaford, and this is The Innocence. Hello, I'm producer Pete, and today, Alex, we are talking to... Hannah Overton. Hannah Overton. 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 In 2007, Hannah was sentenced to life in prison for the death of her four-year-old foster son, Andrew Bird. He was a lonely little boy who finally got the family he always wanted, but his new life lasted just four short months. It's a bizarre story. She was accused of deliberately force-feeding him salt to punish him for bad behavior. Hannah told doctors Andrew ate condensed soup with this, Zatarain's Creole seasoning. Hannah was a quiet, church-going woman who loved children. She was a, a nurse. She volunteered at orphanages. What was behind the parents' split-second decision not to call 911? Uh, this is a story that, as you probably can guess, made headlines across the country. It was huge. And very much like the Jason Baldwin interview last week and, and many of the other interviews we've got coming up, all is not as it seems. It's not. So I spoke to Hannah as you'll hear in detail about the week between Andrew first falling ill and her being arrested for his murder. This was uh, a very unusual case. There was no crime. Andrew was not poisoned by salt. But it didn't stop a jury convicting Hannah and sentencing her, a judge sentencing her to life in prison. I seem to remember when I came out to visit you in Austin, probably about 2010, seeing this on the news, this story, I think it was um, one of her appeals perhaps, but there was certainly a story about her being in prison. It was huge, wasn't it, in, in Texas, but sort of across the states as well. Yeah, and that's something we get into, this this idea that the media coverage was relentless. Now, what is kind of worth me mentioning before we listen to the interview, that in the UK, where I'm from, where you're from, Pete, there are very strict laws that govern reporting of crimes when proceedings are active. This is called subjudice. So you can get into a lot of trouble. You can actually go to prison as a member of the media if you basically print anything that could jeopardize a fair trial. So in America, the First Amendment of the Constitution basically allows you to, within reason, pretty much it's kind of, you know, open season. So which is why you have programs over here like Nancy Grace, which some people will be familiar with. And it, you know, she makes a living discussing in detail and offering her own opinions about these very, very, very high profile court cases. And so, you know, she's basically judge, jury and executioner before these trials have even started. And that's what happened to Hannah. So we'll hear a lot about that, about how she was tried by the, the media before she even went to trial. A quick word from one of our sponsors. There's almost always a rise in break-ins during the holidays. It's why Simply Safe Home Security is having a huge holiday sale. 30% off any Simply Safe system and a free security camera. Recently, US News and World Report called it the best home security of 2020. So whether you're traveling or staying put for the holidays, check out the 30% off plus free security camera deal before it ends this week. 
This week, I installed my Simply Safe system. It arrives in a box with everything you need and simple to follow instructions that even I can understand. So I've now got sensors on my doors and windows, a motion detector, and camera together with monitoring. So if there's a break in, the police are alerted and everything's caught on camera. It won CNET Editor's Choice for Home Security and was named Best of 2020 by Forbes and Popular Mechanics. The system has an arsenal of sensors and cameras that protect every inch of your home. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. It's really easy. And then Simply Safe security specialists take over, monitoring your home around the clock, ready to send emergency help the moment there's an alarm. Get 30% off Simply Safe plus a free security camera today by visiting simplysafe.com slash masses, as in huddled masses, and hurry. This deal expires today. That's simplysafe.com slash masses. All right, can you hear me now? I can perfectly, and we're, and we're we're just gonna we're only doing it on Zoom. We're not going to use the video, but it's just so that me and you can I can actually look at you while I'm talking to you rather than just, okay. uh, just the audio. <laughs> what are you looking for, Andrew? I'm looking for that. His foster mother attended the same church as the Overtons, so Andrew got to know the kids through Sunday school. Give me a sense of what you and your husband did and who you were at the time. So we were in youth ministry. My husband was the youth pastor at the church, and we practically lived at the church. Every day the doors were open, we were there. Our kids were actually in the Sunday school class that Andrew was in. His foster mother kind of used the church as a babysitter, dropped off Andrew in the morning when the church opened and picked him up at around 2 o'clock when the church closed. And so we got to know him pretty well. And fell in love with this little boy. We had talked about adopting, thinking that we would do it when our kids were a little bit older. We had a three and four-year-old daughter at the time, and they were coming home from church saying, why can't we be Andrew's forever family? You know, we started praying about that, and we felt like that was something we could do. My mom thought we were a little crazy because we were pregnant with number five and and adopting a little boy that had a lot of difficulties. He was having, you know, a lot of behavioral problems. He had Mm. an eating disorder, and even in the church situation, like they were pretty consistently having to take him out of class. But this wasn't sort of a flippant decision. I mean, you no, no, no. you had experience. You know, you were a nurse. Yes. You volunteered at orphanages in Mexico. Yes. And you already had four kids, right? So right. you had a lot of experience with raising children. <laughs> yes. No, it wasn't a flippant decision at all. It was something we had thought about for a while. And we had fallen in love with this little boy and wanted to make him a part of our family. And he moved into our home on Mother's Day. So you mentioned then that he had some behavioral issues and eating disorder. I think the eating disorder is known as pica. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's pica here. Pica. Can you explain what that is? It's a desire to eat inedible objects, basically. A bizarre eating disorder called pica because he Mm. would ingest things that were non-edible, paint chips. He would peel paint off the wall. He would eat crayons. Andrew would get into anything that he possibly could. I mean, he did peel the paint off the walls. He tore into the mattress a little bit and was Mm. eating parts of the mattress. He ate cat food, dog food. And he would, to give people a picture of what you were dealing with here, I mean, not only was he eating inedible objects, but he was also eating food in quantities that is just astonishing. Yes. So he, he was constantly hungry. You had your hands full. He was a, 
a challenge. Yes, yes. You know, a lot of foster kids have a problem with overeating and just gorging. But I was talking to caseworkers and I kept telling them, this is a problem. We need to get him in to see a doctor. They kept Mm. blowing it off that, well, this is just something foster kids deal with. But he would eat until he threw up and still want more. And, you know, it was just a constant, constant monitoring and having to watch to make sure that he wasn't eating too much to where Mm. it would hurt him. And when he got sick that day, I mean, I think he threw up. He told you that he wasn't feeling well. He did. My first thought was that he had just eaten too much. Mm -hmm. He was throwing a bit of a fit because he wanted more foods. Mm. And then a few minutes later, he was saying he was cold and he Mm. said his head hurt. And then at that point, you know, I thought, well, maybe something else is going on. Maybe he had some sort of stomach virus or flu or, you know, I, I really didn't think there was anything major at that point because I had just had a car accident not too long before, and I was actually still supposed to be on bed rest. I was in a neck brace at the time. I was five months pregnant. So I, at the time when he threw up, I actually called my husband, asked him if he could come home from work and help me with him. So we put him in a warm bath. It was a while later when he started to breathe a little bit funny. And at that point, He'd been in our home for about, you know, less than six months, and the medical records we had on him were very, very scarce. Now we know that they were scarce because they were not given to us. At the time, I just thought that they didn't really have much on him. Mm. So at that point, we decided we needed to go mm. and get him To the hospital, to the ER. Well, we were only going to the urgent care at first. We weren't allowed to just take him to a doctor. We were supposed to have a caseworker with us. Um <laughs> That's incredible, actually, because that delays, uh, I I didn't even know that, that detail. And that detail is is astonishing. Yeah, until the adoption is finalized, you're supposed to go through your caseworker to set up a doctor's appointment. And so since it was an emergency, I called the caseworker and I said, we're going, I think he's not breathing right, and we need to go. Please meet us there. So we went to the urgent care. That's when he stopped breathing. It was actually 30 hours later when he passed away in the hospital the third hospital he was transferred to. At the urgent care where we went, they weren't set up for the situation and they were very overwhelmed. They couldn't find a crash cart. They really didn't do much of anything except call 911. So I actually Mm. was doing CPR at the urgent care until 911 got there and took over. Right. Did you have any inkling at this point that you were under suspicion? While Andrew was still alive in the hospital, I was taken from the hospital and an interrogation began, and my children were taken away from us by CPS. That first night, after a three-hour interrogation, we stayed up all night until 8 o'clock, whenever we could go to the CPS office to ask permission because the police station, they told us if we went back to the hospital without permission, we would be arrested. We were there when the doors opened with our attorney to ask permission to go back to the hospital. We also had attorneys waiting to try to get our kids back who had been taken in the middle of the night from my sister-in-law. So we were trying to get a hearing to get my other kids back. By the grace of God, a miracle happened and The policy is that it takes 21 days when children are removed like that in an emergency case to get a hearing. And we were able to get a hearing that day. And we were able to get the kids back into my mom's custody that day. Did you get to talk to them? When they were brought back to my mom's house, I was allowed to be there. 
Mm. I could be with them as long as I was supervised. Remind me how old they were again. I mean, the, the confusion that these poor kids must, not, not only are you going through this and your husband, but your kids as well. My oldest was seven at the time. Mm. And my youngest that was taken was two. They call it the day the trauma happened. To this to this day? Yeah. Oh, wow. My oldest is 21, and he still will tell you he was kidnapped by CPS. You know, that's wow. his memory of it. He was taken away kicking and screaming. He was put in a foster home an hour away. He was separated from his younger siblings so that the two older were put in one home and the two younger were put in another home. And then the older two were sent to public school, which they had been homeschooled, so they'd mm. never been in a public school situation. I could go on and on with stories about that. But while they were in the public school, my daughter was crying on the playground and my son saw her, left his line with his class and went over to take care of her, which in a homeschool situation would be normal. <laughs> but in a public school situation, he got in trouble for leaving his mm. class and the teacher went over to them and my daughter said, he's just praying with me. We're praying that we can go home to my mommy. Wow. What, what about what about you, Hannah, at this point, um, with all this drama um, that's happening? Did you think even then, it's okay, the truth is going to come out, so, you know, it, it may take a oh, few yes, days. Oh, definitely. But this is just a huge misunderstanding, you know, this is not... Definitely. I definitely thought, I mean, up until the day I was convicted, I thought that, um, you know, what... It was almost a year later when <laughs> I went to trial and I was convicted and I still thought that God was going, you know, that God was going to step in, that they were going to, you know, the justice system mm. would work. <laughs> right. At the Overton's home, odd conditions. Andrew's mattress outside, his favorite Spider-Man bed sheets burnt on the grill, a camera pointed at a bare plywood bed. I want to talk about the treatment that you got at the hands of the media. The Corpus Christi Caller Times comment section, so this isn't even the journalists, was filled with vitriol. Someone called for you to receive the death penalty. Someone said you can tell just by looking at her how evil she is. Constant coverage on the TV news. How did that impact you? So from the very beginning, the day I was arrested, my attorney had called the district attorney's office and asked if there was any chance that I would be arrested for anything. And they were like, I don't know, we're still looking at it. And he said, well, if there is, we'll turn her in. Just let's figure this out. You know, the thought was maybe at worst it would be negligence or something. You know, there was never any thought of anything else. And even that, I never believed would happen because I thought for sure that they would look at the truth and see what mm -hmm. happened. But anyway, they came at five o'clock after it was too late to do bond. They came with nine cop cars and 18 police officers to arrest a pregnant woman. Mm. I was thrown to the ground. It was like a felony arrest surrounded by media. Every media station was called and was there whenever I was arrested. And from that day forward, the headlines were monster or mother. It was relentless. You know, just, yes, it was crazy. I definitely was traumatized by the media. I mean, there were cameras in my faces asking questions every time I went anywhere. I mean, even at 11 o'clock at night in Walmart, I had people stopping me and saying horrible things to me and with my kids there. I've lived here a long time. It is relentless the coverage of high-profile cases. And of course, this is the death of a child, which it becomes a massive case. It's something very emotional and emotive. People want to know and consume everything they can about this. But but you are tried before you even step into that courtroom. Yes. 
And, you know, the media was actually working with the prosecution, which is something that often happens. One of the prosecutors in my case during the trial was going up to the newsroom for Channel 3 News and helping them figure out what to put on the news. Mm. But on a local level, there was a lot of crazy things going on. And we did receive apologies from many media people later on after finding out the Mm. whole story and finding out what they were being fed by the prosecution was not the truth. Hannah, there's something else kind of related to this, this idea that you shouldn't hear a person's previous convictions before the trial so that it doesn't sway the jury in any way. They should be tried on what's happening then and there. Now, you had no previous convictions. No, I had, um, I'd never even had a parking ticket. But never, yeah, right. <laughs> but but what was interesting, what I want to talk about, there was, um, I read this in a magazine article, you, you know, something happened in your family when you were very young. You were seven years old. Your dad was arrested. Yes. And I wondered if you could briefly explain about that. I know it must be tough kind of talking about stuff like that, but I, I think that it's relevant in the sense that I want to know whether that ever came up and whether that was used almost as a evidence against you, if you like. It was. I didn't really have much of a relationship with my dad after that point. Um, he he was gone. He was imprisoned for many, many years. And then... Can you tell us why? What Just very briefly, what happened? I can tell you what I know of the situation, but I don't know a whole, whole hmm. lot about the situation because I, my mom kept me pretty protected from that. I, like I said, I was raised on a missions base, completely protected from all that situation. But my hmm. dad was convicted of murder, and um, hmm. I, I, I don't know all the details. So, but that was brought up in the. It media was brought up in the media. It was brought up in the hmm. media as an added thing to convict me by. Well, yeah. In in other words, sort of saying the apple can't fall far from the cart. If her dad's capable right. of something like that, she must be. Right. Now, the Nueces County Medical Examiner ruled Andrew's death to be a homicide. That was a big part of the prosecution. A paramedic testified to seeing what he said looked like cigarette burns on Andrew's body. You didn't smoke, nor did your husband, but this was allowed by the judge. So the paramedics, when they drop off a child at the hospital, they have to do a head-to-toe assessment, right? And Mm. so there was a bruise on his knee and there was a sore on his arm. The sore was a mosquito bite that had been picked at. Andrew picked at all of his scabs really bad. That was another thing that he was known for doing and and that a lot of foster kids do. So that's what that was. And that's Mm. what they turned into that it could have been a cigarette burn. Yes, neither my husband or I have Mm. ever smoked. (laughs) The prosecution basically painted her as a mom that wanted a way out, even though she was six months pregnant. She had been in a car accident recent, you know, just a couple of weeks before he died, was bedridden and wearing a neck brace. And they think she was somehow able to force that amount of salt down his throat. So it's a it's a very involved case. This is kind of awful and I want to kind of get into the weeds a bit with this because this is something I'm really interested in. But Patricia Gonzalez, who was a nurse at the urgent care clinic, told the jury that you had not behaved like a panic-stricken parent and you had a smile on your face as you performed CPR. This came up a lot, this idea in the media as well, but in certainly in the trial, that you weren't acting right for a grief-stricken parent that people took your calmness for a sign of not caring. So what you have to think about in that situation, that urgent care nurse that was speaking, the urgent care didn't do anything to prevent Andrew's death. They could not find their crash cart. They could not figure out how to get even an IV in him. And I was doing CPR. And Mm. I said, where is the crash cart? Why aren't you doing anything? Mm. Those are the things I was saying. Now, 
another doctor testified that he said I had a bit of a nervous chuckle. It was a frustration, <laughs> you know, like what I have right now, you know, that it's a, a frustration with the situation. Hmm. I was upset, but I was definitely in nurse mode trying to take care of my son. Then medical staff had obviously been alerted, saw something, said, hey, we need the police here. Corpus Christi Police Detective Michael Hess got the call that day. As their son lay in a coma, Hannah and Larry were taken here to police headquarters for questioning. It's extremely, extremely important how he behaved, what he did, and then what measures you took. I think I already did. Well, okay, because there must be some things missing. All she said was chilly and he just took two steps and said he was cold and fell. Well, that didn't make sense. Prosecutors said Overton force-fed the boy seasoning, which caused elevated blood sodium levels and later killed him. She was sentenced to life in prison. You were sentenced to life in prison without parole. Tell us about those first few weeks in prison. I was actually put in protective custody. So I stayed in the county jail for five and a half months because they were concerned with how bad the media had portrayed my case. So I was alone. I was in segregation for that five and a half months. I was devastated and I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I lost so much weight that my family was really concerned and they started asking me constantly if I was eating. So then I started sucking on M&Ms because it's the only thing I could keep down. My goal was to like get one bag of M&Ms down a day. Every time I would go to sleep, I would dream that I was just out of reach of one of my kids and they were in danger. And it was so bad that I was scared to go to sleep. You know, when I was awake, my life was horrible, but at least I knew that my other kids were safe. Did you see them? Did you? Did your husband bring them in to yes, see you? Yes, I did. The, yeah. While I was in the county jail, they came every weekend, but we were only allowed 20-minute visits in the county jail. When I got transferred to the prison, we had two-hour visits, but it was six hours away. My husband came every week, and he brought the kids once a month. So it was six hours both ways. So it was a 12-hour trip in one day for a two-hour visit. How did you look after your mental health in that, that time? Well, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And, you know, I really relied on God. I held on to that. When I was in the prison, as I began to get to know people, I began to see that I had a hope that they didn't have. Even though I was facing life without parole, my child was dead. I was, you know, not with my other children. I had left five babies at home. I still had a hope that mm. these ladies didn't have. And so I began to share that hope with them. I started a Bible study in the prison that started with about two ladies. And by the time I left, there were a hundred ladies that were doing the Bible study. So you, you talked about, obviously you had, you have and had a faith that helped you never lose hope, but there was also something very tangible happening as well. Two days after you were sentenced, in fact, a pediatrician named Edgar Cortez came into the picture. Who was he and what did he say? Dr. Cortez was the doctor that Andrew was seeing before he was in our care. And he had stacks of medical records on Andrew that CPS was supposed to have and should have given to us mm. that had been destroyed. And he was supposed to be able to testify at our trial we didn't know anything about this. We knew nothing about that he had even been Andrew's previous doctor. We 
were told that he was a doctor that was at the emergency room and that he was hostile towards us. We were told that by the prosecution, but that was not the truth. He had been at the emergency room, but he was not hostile. He was actually going to testify to what he knew about Andrew's health condition. And they hid him from us through the whole trial. And they were telling the jury that Andrew was a perfectly healthy kid that had Mm. never had any problems. And he was getting more and more angry. So then after the trial, after I was convicted, when he saw that Andrew was completely portrayed as being Mm. a healthy child... He went to the media and went to the courthouse and he was, you know, wanting to talk to the judge and he was like, this is not a fair situation. This was not a healthy child. This was not a fair trial. Then in 2010, your then attorney was looking through the prosecution's case file and they found a report that said that Andrew's stomach contents did not have an elevated amount of salt. Yes. And in 2012, an appeal was granted. Now it's in the hands of the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. They could rule any day now, but she is separated from her five children. She has absolutely no physical contact with them, though they can see her uh, once or twice a month. What happened legally to allow you this appeal? From the very beginning, the theory was that I had force fed him crazy amounts of high sodium. So originally they were saying they had force fed him salt. Well, they couldn't find salt in my house. So then it changed to Zatarain seasoning. And it would have been 24 tablespoons of Zatarain seasoning to be the amount that they theorized that I would have given him to raise the sodium levels as high. And then they said that I did this in a sippy cup, which doesn't even make sense because if you put 24 tablespoons of Zatarain seasoning in a sippy cup, it will not come out. Hmm. All of that being said, I kept saying from the very beginning, but he threw up in the urgent care. Where is that throw up? You can find that throw up. It'll prove that I didn't do this. I didn't force feed him anything. Mm. They were telling me that I was crazy. The prosecution was saying there was no vomit anywhere, that he did not throw up in the urgent care. With my medical background, it was one thing I remembered them doing in that urgent care (laughs) was suctioning because he was throwing Mm. up. And I was like, they suctioned it. It's got to be somewhere. You need to find this throw up, Mm. knowing that that would prove my innocence. They just told me I was crazy, told me it didn't exist. Well, all along, not only did it exist, but it had been tested. It was found to be low in sodium. A whole bunch of people on the prosecution's team had talked about it, and they had looked at it, and they had... They were well aware yes, of this, they, and they just held this They back. had asked other doctors why it would be low in sodium. There were multiple emails back and forth, and they had taken that Bemis container put it in a brown paper sack and labeled it Overton's home and put it in the back of their evidence room so that it would not be found. And the doctor who was not allowed to speak at the original trial testified then that Andrew had this pre-existing health condition and that his death was likely an accident. Yes, and also the top nephrologist in the world was there and testified to that as well. After serving seven years behind bars, charged for killing her foster son, Hannah Overton was formally declared innocent on all counts today. Well, one day after the DA announced he would dismiss the capital murder charges against Overton, he met with her and her attorneys at the courthouse and declared her innocent. Still a little overwhelming. The last time I was in that courtroom, I was in shackles, so walking up, I was pretty scared still. I know that some of the trial was hazy. I'm guessing that the day you were released may not be as hazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it seems like a bit of a dream, too. Not a nightmare, a dream. (laughs) Uh, So my 
case was overturned in September, and I actually wasn't released until December. Mm. I was in the prison for another 40 days, and then I was sent to the county jail, and I spent seven weeks in the county jail before I was let out on bond. And I was able to hug my kids for the first time in years. I remember that I didn't hardly sleep for a week. You know, we just all just spent time together. My brother had been waiting to propose to his girlfriend, and he proposed to her uh, that, that Christmas Eve since I was there. I remember many, many times not only feeling this myself, but hearing my kids say, you know, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Are you really home? <laughs> How did it impact your kids? How are they now? They're all doing really well. I mean, they do definitely have some anxiety, some PTSD. One of my daughters, if she is driving down the street and sees cop cars, her blood pressure raises enough that she gets a migraine. How about you? Do you do you still have kind of flashbacks oh, and stuff? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But overall, we're all doing really, really well. You know, God has mm. protected us and he surrounded my children with people that really took care of them while I was gone and they were well loved and well taken care of, but it definitely takes its toll. Huddled Masses The Innocence wouldn't be possible without the generous support of our sponsors. Huge tech companies in America pay next to nothing in taxes, meaning they barely give anything back to the society that made them rich. They may not do a lot of giving, but they sure do a lot of taking. And I'm talking about how these tech companies enrich themselves by taking your personal data. They grab your web history, email metadata, and video searches to create a detailed profile on you and then sell that off to the highest bidder. Companies aren't just selling products anymore, they're selling you. You have become the product. To protect your identity and data from these tech giants, I recommend using ExpressVPN every time you go online. Think about all the websites you visit, Facebook, Twitter, Google, everything you do and say online is tracked by these giant corporations. Using your public IP address, they can uniquely match your activity and know your location. ExpressVPN makes you anonymous online by camouflaging your IP address and replacing it with a different secure IP of your choice. ExpressVPN also encrypts all your data so that it's protected from hackers and anyone else that's trying to spy on you. What I like most about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to use. You just download the app on your phone or computer, tap a button, and you're protected. So if you're like me and believe your internet data belongs to you and not to greedy corporations, then ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your data with the number one rated VPN provider today. Visit expressvpn.com masses, as in huddled masses, to get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash masses to learn more. In the aftermath of your release, I think some people still were insistent that you were guilty. How was that sort of reaction from the public? When the truth was finally let out at that evidentiary hearing, mm. there was somebody that was a reporter that actually didn't just report one-sided. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the first time that anybody had been at a hearing that was actually reporting the truth. And they reported everything that was said. And it was done live for people to watch. And they had a poll going all over Corpus Christi and all over the United States, actually. But they had a poll of whether I was guilty or innocent. But by the end of that hearing, over 90-something percent, I can't remember exactly the amount, but I want to say it was like 97 percent of the people were saying that I was innocent and needed to go home. Mm. 
by far, once the truth was actually given, people realized that I was innocent. But there were those people who still had mean things to say. Yeah. When I got out, I had missed so much time with my kids. I really wanted to have another baby, and I tried to get pregnant, and I ended up having two miscarriages because after seven years of my body being in fight or flight, I was not producing progesterone anymore. Doctors told me I could never have another baby. I do. I have a two-year-old now. Um, they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, I had actually given up on the idea, and then I got pregnant, and it was wow. a miracle. Hannah Overton was found not guilty more than a year ago after she spent seven years in prison after the death of Andrew Bird. Well, she gave birth to a daughter last night after suffering health complications. The family's Facebook page says both Overton and the baby are recovering tonight. But when I was pregnant, I did have somebody come up to me in a grocery store you know, and tell me, that I should have been sterilized. Oh my God. I still can't go into Corpus Christi where that happened without having somebody come up to me and say something. Most of the time it's good things. People saying they were, you know, they're sorry for what happened to me. They were praying for our family. But there are times when there are things like that that happen. And Hannah, you're helping other people now through your ministry. Do you want to just tell me a bit about that? Yes. So while I was inside, like I said, I started this Bible study and you know, I watched it change lives. And so when I got out, we started a nonprofit called Sendeo Ministries. Mm. And in Hebrews 13, 3 in the Bible, it says, remember those in prison as if you were bound with them, those who are suffering as if you are suffering also. The word there in Greek, it has two meanings. One is bound, like chained, like I was, and the other is bound in heart, like all people should be. Whenever I first got out, we started it with just continuing those Bible studies, sending them in to the people that, you know, I had been leading Bible studies. They now took over leading those studies and sending those in. And then we also got a pen pal for each person that was involved in the study. Well, that has continued to grow. And what was 100 people then is now 800 ladies in Texas prisons that are now involved in the Bible studies. Wow. We also give them Christmas cards to send home to their families. 85% of the women in Texas prisons are mothers. And so they, you know, we want to give them cards to send home to their kids. Mm. Along with those outreaches, we are also starting a transitional home for ladies coming out of prisons. Wow. It'll house 25 ladies. And we actually get our first lady at the end of this month. So, wow. Hannah, thanks. Thanks so much for chatting and um, going so sort of in depth to the story. I know some of it is, is massively hard to kind of. Um, talk about again I'm sure and, and you know it's I just appreciate appreciate it thank you so much no thank you what a story what a tragic story it's pretty incredible that someone who really couldn't have been a more sort of kind considerate person found herself caught up in a case like this yeah I mean as I said before we started, what the, the most amazing thing about this story is she was innocent, not because somebody else committed this crime, but because there was no crime. I mean, it's a real indictment on the US justice system that something like this can happen. Um, and, you know, you think about all these cases, these these famous cases where the scientific evidence or the forensic science or whatever, what have you, just hadn't kind of advanced enough at the time. So people were convicted of crimes where, you know, 20 years on, the science has evolved and suddenly it's like, oh, sorry, our mistake. And it's frightening. And this is one of those, those those cases, the science had evolved, but also we found out that the prosecution withheld evidence, which, you know, 
Hannah didn't stand a chance. Something also that Hannah's interview highlighted is that in a case of wrongful conviction like this, she's obviously a victim, but there's many other victims. And she had five children. Many of them were very, very young when she was taken away. They're still coming to terms with with what happened to them. So it's just victims like basically throughout this. I mean, you know, you think about um, the jurors who sat in Hannah's trial, who, and I'm guessing now, but you know, when she's finally vindicated all those years later and 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 set free, is there a sort of guilt that sets in um, do, 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 it, that they think we had something to do with this poor woman being incarcerated for so long? Now, of course, they weren't given all the facts, but it doesn't change the fact that they probably feel terrible about it. And, it, and there's a trauma for them as well. Indeed. All right, I think that's enough for now, Alex. I think it is. Shall we hear that lovely theme song? And can you give me some credits? I can. The Innocence is presented by me, Alex Hannaford. The producer and sound engineer was Peter Sale. And our theme music is I Shall Be Released by Polly Niles, courtesy of Cherry Red Records. Thanks again to Hannah Overton for her time. And thanks also to Nancy Pollard. The Innocence is a DMT media production for Audioboom. Everything can be replaced They say every distance is not near So I remember